is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 166, operating on January 29th, 2023. This is Drew, an airline ops manager and private pilot trainee. I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We are here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, we've had an interesting week with you flying a KC-10 extender on its last flight and me attending an airport operations convention. Your KC-10 flight is our main topic. So without revealing that, anything else happened this week? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I flew down to Tucson. We'll talk about the retirement flight here in just a little bit. And then I had to get to Denver for some family stuff. And Drew, this was Marissa's first time not arriving at all but and she was by herself so of course she was totally freaked out about it and it was a simple flight it was sacramento to denver and the load it, it was wide open I, I i had no no question that she was going to get on the airplane and of course i'm flying the kc-10 while she is trying to board while she's trying to do all this so i'm out of radio contact with her so if anything goes wrong she can't reach me she said it was the easiest thing in the world and I was like, I know, I told you, don't worry about it. Like, seriously, of course, there will be times, and we've talked about it on the show, where there are meltdowns and you have to go from point A to point B through point C, D, <laughs> E, and F. Luckily, mm-hmm. it didn't happen for her. And at the family get-together that we were at yesterday, she was bragging to everyone, yeah, I, f- I flew standby and it was so easy. It was it was great. This was my first time. Like, she was bragging to everyone. Well, you got to, I think I've told you this, you've got to give your mom, Marissa, my number because i'll be the call a friend if you're on a flight and they need help because i'm all about you know helping people sort out non-rev stuff but talk yeah, about, absolutely talk about marissa and beginner's luck so first she gets three seats to herself then you guys get first class which is so rare on a domestic flight well i, I was gonna get to that we were i was joking with her because she doesn't listen to the podcast so she doesn't know that we call three seats to yourself non-rev first class and I was joking with her. I said, "Yeah, you got non-rev first class because you had an entire row to yourself." Yeah. And she said the gate agent. She said the gate agent even offered her an exit row. She wouldn't have had it to herself. And she said, oh, "I'll just take the row to myself." So we were laughing about that. And then the flight this morning was a seven thirty-seven eight hundred to Sacramento, and there were maybe twenty-five people on the entire flight. It, mm-hmm. it was completely empty. I've never seen it like that. And yeah, we, we got first class. And so I was like, and I told, I told her, I was like, listen, this does not happen. This happens so rarely that you get domestic first class when you're flying standby. I feel like you're not really part of the, of an airline family until you start non-revving because you Mm -hmm. see how easy it is or how hard it is. You've been broken in as far as non-rev. When I, I mean, when I'm talking about broken in, I'm talking about being in a city, getting ready to go someplace, and your all your plans being turned upside down because something yeah. happened. So Marissa is living in this wonderland right now, where she feels. <laughs> like... <laughs> and you, your mom, what what happened? So your mom flies here, or fly, flies to Sac or Smurf or whatever you want to call it, and on the plane is your call it is your uh, is your Air Force Academy roommate is the pilot. Yeah, my mom texted me, and she was sitting on the on the ground in Savannah. And she said, hey, can you text Jack and ask if he's flying right now? Because they just said that the pilot's name is Jack. Just total coincidence. Like, hey, it's a name of your friend. Let's just see if it is your friend. And I'm surprised she was listening. A lot of times people don't even listen to that. Very true. 
And it, well, and a lot of times too, the flight attendants don't say the names of the pilots. They they mm-hmm. could, just don't mention that. So I texted him. He didn't respond, which was my first clue that well, he might be flying right now. I, I can't guarantee that he's flying out of Savannah. And all of a sudden, an hour later, I get pictures from my mom of her standing with Jack in the galley, like by the front entryway. So it's pretty awesome. It is such a small world, and there are tens of thousands of pilots. So the chances that you end up on someone's flight that you know is so minuscule. Have you ever flown with the same pilot twice? A couple of times, yes. My buddy Neil, who's about to bid on the 787, hopefully he's on a, he's a 737 FO. He says that he when he flies, he's very senior. So his captain is more senior usually. So he doesn't fly with low seniority pilots or captains. Does that make any sense? Isn't it just random? I, I don't know how he bids. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe there are more high seniority trips with longer layovers or something like that. That that very well could be what it is because he's senior senior enough that he can get the good trips or the trips that he really wants, which the captains probably bid for those same trips, and so they're they're able or he's able to fly with more senior people. Last thing I want to talk about uh, getting back from Tucson. Getting up to Denver, I had a couple of options. I had on our company a nonstop, but the problem was we got in a little bit too late, so that was out the window. I could have jump seated or non revved on Southwest. And then our buddy Tyler suggested or told me to look at Phoenix as well. I could have gone on American, so I had lots of different options. The Southwest was nonstop, and I would have gotten on. The loads were wide open. But I was like, you know what? I, I'm curious. I, I just want to look and see if there are any other options besides doing the nonstop. And I found a routing that went back to San Francisco. Unfortunately, it was on a CRJ 200. Was it a 200? Yeah, you didn't say it was was a 200. (laughs) Yeah, which which we call Satan's Chariot. Right. But it meant being on a triple from San Francisco to Denver. And I ended up getting business class. So that was the routing that I took. Why go nonstop on a 737 when you can... uh, People are going to make fun of me for taking the CRJ to San Francisco. But it was all for that triple. Well, yeah. And um, a CRJ on that route is probably cheaper than a, a, an Uber. Did you get the meme that's been floating around? So yeah. this, this meme today, and I put it on our, uh, on our uh, feed on Instagram. They have a, it's like an Uber page. It's like an Uber app. And it shows Uber. It doesn't say from where to where, but it says Uber X $126 and it has the drop off time. It has Uber Pool, $102. And then it says CRJ200, $101. So it's cheaper than Uber Pool. No one wants to do yeah. it. And it gets you there like, like an hour sooner, but people still, it's still less expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you guys hang on because Doug is going to tell us about this final KC10 flight for this specific tale. And I'm going to ask him questions about it. I also had a trip. I went to an airport operations conference and Doug, we keep beating this drum, but business travel is back. And I have been on business trips post COVID, but they've been small. They've been like a thunderstorm meeting or a winter ops meeting. This is our regular conference that we have for all airport operations management. So it's hundreds of people and it's vice presidents talking to us. And it was great, Doug. I mean, it was like the old days. What's the best part of this is not, I mean, it's great talking to the vice presidents in person. That's awesome. But the biggest thing is networking with your coworkers and even networking with my own coworkers from other departments, because we're not at a work setting. Our company Mm -hmm. did a really good job 
taken us out to dinner. There's even a happy hour afterwards in the hotel so that we know, they know that we're safe <laughs> <laughs> because you can just walk up to your room. So it's very well organized. And I just want to say it really makes a difference. I mean, we are literally, when we walk out of there, we are on the same page. We've heard the same message. You know, they talk about how we're doing as a business and really getting us excited about 2023, which is supposed to be awesome. 2024 should be even better. It's almost like we're not, we're not caring so much about 2019, right? 2019 mm-hmm. was the age. Ah, oh, back in 20, we're expected to do better soon. We're supposed to surpass 2019. You know, this all this talk about recession, we're not really seeing it. We'll just stop saying it. We don't want to make it yeah. a recession a reality. Yeah, and speaking of the conference, Drew, you flew a 787 from Washington to Chicago. We're all about transcon wide bodies, but now you're raving about midcon wide bodies. And I just talked about mine as well. We, yes. we each... It, on, on the same day or a day apart, we both flew a wide body on a two-hour flight, an hour and a half flight. What's this all about? <laughs> well, I want to I want to get that trending so the airline VPs hear that when they listen to our podcast and they start scheduling more mid-con wide bodies. It's all, and we're going to talk about some different routes, but it reminds me of uh, Asia because Asia that's mm-hmm. an A three thirty is their their mid-range. You know, they fly two hours from. Singapore to Jakarta and Hong Kong to uh, Taipei. That's normal. Yeah, we you see it a lot inside of China as well and domestic Japan travel and, and even Korea to, and I know we're going to talk about it, but Korea to other parts of Korea, mm-hmm. which Korea is not <laughs> right. a big country. <laughs> well, yeah, so it was amazing to fly a wide body on a 1.5 hour flight from uh, Washington to Chicago. But it was still unique. One of my coworkers, Connie, she had never been on a 787. And she's not an Avgi. Mm. But she, it was like watch, watching her was like a kid in a candy store. Like, <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure>. <laughs> so yeah. it was fun. I mean, it really makes a difference. And if she's like that, not an Avgeek, I'm sure there's a lot of customers of our customers that are like, wow, this is really nice. Anyway, I hope they are. Hopefully it's not just me. All right. So we will see more wide, wide bodies on commuter and regional routes of two hours or less in this country, or actually, will we see, will we see more wide bodies in these, these types of routes? Doug, I think we definitely will as slots get more expensive and harder to find at busy airports and as pilot crews remain stretched. So instead of operating two flights with four pilots, how about one bigger plane with only two pilots? Because pilots are so hard to get these days, that, that makes sense. Airlines will maximize what precious slots and pilots that they have by operating larger planes with more frequency. I mean, we have some of these routes, Doug, but what are your thoughts on that? We've talked about this a little bit with some of these airplane orders and how airlines are going for bigger in that category. And we talked about how the A319 and A320 NEO are not big sellers, but the A321 NEO is, is a runaway success because you get those additional seats with not a lot of additional costs for fuel for crew for the weight of the airplane etc and you're able to get a lot more passengers in there and yeah i, I see these wide bodies starting to, to pick up in different places I'll, I'll just i'll mention this list right now you, you did a little research on this europe you've got Aer Lingus from dublin to heathrow on an a330 air europa from madrid to barcelona on a 787 add to your list when i'm in frankfurt i see a finnair a350 from helsinki that's got to be under two hours i'm sure Moving over to Asia, as you mentioned, you've got Hong Kong to Guangzhou, which is an A330, and that's less than an hour flight. 
We've got Singapore and Scoot, who both do Singapore to Kuala Lumpur on an A350 and a 787, respectively. You've got Singapore and Garuda that do Singapore to Jakarta I, on an A350 and an A330. Can I stop you right there? Can I stop you right there yeah. for a second? It's because I don't want to miss this. So I flew from Singapore Airlines to Kuala Lumpur. I think I have that as well. Yeah. That is such a busy route. It's like waiting for a metro train. There's one going all the time, right? And it was mm-hmm. uh, Sri Lankan Airlines. I was on the way to uh, Colombo from uh, Singapore. Stopped in Kuala Lumpur. It was an A330. And in that 45-minute flight, the flight attendant served a sandwich in economy, if you can believe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I believe be it. Done. <laughs> yeah, they're All wrapped right. up and they're just like chucking them at the yeah, passengers. Yeah, efficient. Moving to North America, you've got Delta, who does Atlanta to Raleigh on a 76300. It's an hour 18. I, I, that's block time. Airtime has got to be probably about oh, 40 man. minutes, I would guess. Atlanta to Orlando, which I've done. Right now, they're running 767 300s. It's an hour 31. I did it a couple times on a 400 mm-hmm. you've got united which is doing washington to chicago on a 787 which is an hour 45 and there are a lot delta and united run a lot of these midcon as now as we're calling it midcon wide bodies basically hub to hub or big trunk routes that have a lot of people going to that one destination you're starting to see a lot of these wide bodies there well, yeah, and this is um, write this down because this is an AvGeek pro tip. These planes are usually figured not usually well, usually I would say usually are configured for international flights. Most of these fleets are configured for international flights. Check it out because in economy, premium economy that Delta, American, and United have, which is a separate cabin, uh, a separate product on an international flight, is just sold as a more legroom seat. So look mm-hmm. for these flights because I actually booked that for my positive space trip and it was it wasn't it was better than economy by far. It was like a mm-hmm. domestic first class seat. Delta, Atlanta to uh Orlando, that's been there for a long time. I remember flying a TriStar on that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I think they've had every wide body they have on that route, you know, here and there. So that's not something that's new. All right. We definitely love our wide bodies on any route. So airlines, if you're listening, if you have them parked, use them. We love them. It's great for net promoter score. (laughs) Another aircraft, Doug, that we would love to see eventually on any route is an SST. We have not had a civilian supersonic transport since 2003 when British Airways flew its last Concorde flight from JFK to uh, London Heathrow. But wait, there's hope. We've been watching the progress of Boom Supersonic's Overture SST. The aircraft will fly at about 1,100 miles per hour, carrying about 65 to 80 customers, up to 4,250 miles. Doug, there's some news. What do we have? There is, and listeners probably think that we're just beating this dead horse here by continually talking about it. But a lot of our listeners thought that this project was dead in the water. And now we're starting to see actual progress. We talked about the engines. We talked about selecting a, a construction facility, all of this stuff. So anytime news comes up about this, we'll, we'll just circle back to it a little bit. Don't worry, we're not going to talk for an entire episode about it. But it's exciting to see because we talked about how innovation this decade is going to see incredible innovation in aviation. It's a new right golden now, age. It's a new golden exactly, age. Exactly. Exactly. Boom just kicked off construction of its Overture Super Factory this last Thursday in Greensboro, North Carolina. The Overture Super Factory is a state-of-the-art manufacturing facility. It will be located at the Piedmont Triad International Airport in Greensboro. The site will house the final assembly line and customer delivery center for Boom's flagship supersonic airliner, the Overture. 
By 2023, Boom will hire more than 2,400 workers at the super factory, and recruiting is already underway. Greg, our, our buddy Greg, he's an engineer. Go. Apply here. You yes. wanted to get into aviation. Apply. Mm-hmm. Your kids are your kids are out of the house. Go work for Boom. But anyways, That's, I digress. I'm surprised we haven't pushed that on them. That, that makes sense. Yeah, we need to start pushing because yeah. we, need, we need a tour. We need a free tour. <laughs> North Carolina economists estimate that the full boom manufacturing program will go the, will grow the state's economy by at least thirty two point three billion dollars over twenty years. That's enormous. Amazing. Boom announced this December that they finally have an engine partner. The company has secured an agreement with Florida Turbine Technologies, Standard Aero, and GE Additive, a unit of GE Aerospace, to create the Overture's engines. Boom has orders and options from American Airlines, United Airlines, and Jal up to 130 aircraft and can as I stop we also you? mentioned can i yeah. stop you right there <laughs> you know all this talk about how it makes no sense and it's not possible do you know how many concords were sold i don't know the exact number but i think it's less than 20 20 uh, yeah i was gonna say it was in the low 20s i think yeah and ryan who is um a young av geek that i met at work uh we went out to dinner so he has a lot of knowledge like we do he said that that uh aerospatial sold the last two concords for a dollar each to British really? and Air France. Just to get rid of them? Yeah. Wow. But my point here is Boom ha- already has orders for 130. Well, and the U.S. government is also working with Boom for a possible Air Force mission as an executive transport. The fact that they are actually putting the money into building this facility, if it, they're a startup, and, and we, again, we talk about innovation and things on this podcast, startups, they kind of have an idea of if funding is starting to run out, they need to spin down. There, there was a supersonic company last year that went out of business and we talked about it. I can't remember the name of it. I yeah, think it was a Denver, a Denver. Yeah, something. And they, they looked at it and they said, you know what? We just don't have the funding to go forward. If Boom really felt like they were not able to make this happen, they're not going to be investing millions of dollars into building this super factory as they're calling it. I, I, that's my opinion, full full opinion. They would probably delay it and they would say, well, we need to get a little more funding, get a little closer to actually having a, a viable product before we go forward with this. The fact that they're pushing ahead gives me a lot of confidence that we actually are going to see something here in the next couple of years. Well, yeah, and we're actually seeing solid, we're seeing actual bricks and mortar, right? There's all this talk, but they're actually building the factory for this and I'm going to put this out there. If this is our best bet, and it seems like this is our best bet for an SST, a civilian SST, Mayor Pete or whatever, a director, what's uh, Secretary Pete? But again, Secretary. <laughs> maybe maybe throw some dollars their way. Like if this is mm-hmm. look, so 32 billion was it for North Carolina's economy? That's something that we as um, the federal government can or the U.S. can help them if they need a little jumpstart to keep it going, especially with this engine, this engine mm-hmm. thing. NASA is working on a quiet, I think it's called Quest. Don't ask me what it stands for. It's an acronym. But they are working with Lockheed Martin on uh, quiet SST technology. Maybe they could give Boom some of this technology for free so that they can use this in this aircraft. Yeah, I'm very bullish about this now that they're actually building a factory. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that? What does it say on a North Carolina license plate? What is their motto? First in aviation. First in flight. Or first in flight, yeah. Can you imagine if our first civilian SST comes from North Carolina? 
and it was first in mm-hmm. This was one of the stories. We, I think we both mentioned that this would be a big story in 2023. We'll be talking about this all year. I'm really excited about it. And I sent you a picture of uh, a possible boom overture in an executive aircraft livery. How cool is that? It's like the current Air Force One livery. Yeah. The robin's egg blue and the gold yeah. and the teal. <laughs> you can't, can't miss it. Both of us are supporters of the U.S. being a leader in this next wave of supersonic transports. Will it be boom? Maybe, or maybe another company, but we feel it needs to happen as this is our next frontier, Doug. I mean, you and I, I've been flying since I was a kid. It takes the same amount of time to fly from Washington to London. It's six and a half hours. Come on, we can we can do better, right? As this is the next frontier, mass supersonic travel. Is it easy? No. This reminds me of what President John F. Kennedy said in a speech supporting a moon mission in 1962. I, this is a good phrase because whenever I'm doing something hard, I kind of think about this. Like when it's something, you know, oh, I don't know if I could do it. It's we, one of the one of the most famous speeches, I would say. Yeah, and because he doesn't at this point when he's making this speech, he doesn't know if we'll go to the moon, mm-hmm. right? He's putting it out there, and then it builds just from him saying that. It it kind of brings it into reality. So, what did he say in 1962 when we're we're talking about a moon mission? He said. We do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. How awesome is that? Another thing that will not be easy, Doug, is coming up with sustainable aviation fuel or SAF that will power the boom overture. It's not easy. I mean, you would think with all this waste and cooking oil, we should be able to get something, but it's not as easy as that. And we have, not that we can't do it, but we have uh, the latest news on that. Aviation's best bet for cutting emissions is this new kind of fuel but there's nowhere near enough of it. Insider did a good overview recently where we stand with SAF. Sustainable aviation fuel can be up to 80% less carbon intensive than conventional jet fuel. Of all global aircraft emissions, the U.S. accounts for 25% of it. There's a goal to reduce that to zero by 2050, but it won't be easy. Current U.S. production of SAF is around 4.5 million gallons per year. The White House wants to increase that production to up to 3 billion gallons by 2030 in order to fully decarbonize aviation by 2050. But that's still not enough to replace the 4 billion gallons of fuel that were consumed in the U.S. in 2022. SAF is mostly made from chemicals called hydro-processed esters and fatty acids. Interesting. (laughs) Usually in the form of vegetable oils and used cooking oil, as you mentioned, Drew. But as much as we like French fries and greasy burgers at In-N-Out by LAX, there's still not enough of that used oil. There could be a refinery right there. (laughs) Yeah, right there. SAF can be made from a lot of other things too, including trash, wood, carbon dioxide, and some types of grass. As more refineries get equipped to produce SAF and more methods of production get approved, the goal of 3 billion gallons by 2030 is, according to experts, doable. Yeah, what stood out to me in this is I I just thought it's a way to recycle waste, but it's 80% less carbon intensive than conventional jet fuel. So there's still going to be pollution, but it's going to be 80% less using this. And to be honest, I can't believe, I mean, with all the trash that we uh, create, that there's no way to collect that and make it into aircraft fuel just at this convention. Makes him think of Back to the Future when he's just shoving like trash in the back of the DeLorean. Well, yeah. And, you know, our our airline even has a commercial how a banana peel can eventually turn into jet fuel. So let's let's make it happen. You know, we have trash. We have plenty of trash in the world. (laughs) 
a lot of places can't find places to put them. If we can somehow harness that into fuel and other things, that will be great. Now, I'm going to put this out there. It's going to be a couple of weeks, but we're hoping to have a vice president from one of these companies on the show soon. It's not going to be next week because we have to schedule with her. But uh, she, I, she actually read our topics and she called me and she was like, all right, so you guys almost, almost have it. So she started telling me some things about SAF, and I think this 4.5 million gallons, her company actually makes a lot of that. I had to tell her, no, no, don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me. Save it. Save it. It's podcast gold. Podcast gold. Looks like we'll have her in a couple of weeks, and she can fill us in on SAF. It's very exciting. Doug, back to the main event, which was the last flight of of a KC-10, not all the KC-10s. I want to know all about it. But let's first give the listeners an overview of the KC-10 Extender, which is it, which it's known as. This is directly from the Air Force. Uh, the KC-10 is a modified version of the Douglas McDonnell Douglas DC-10 or Boeing DC-10, right? Because it was that company was bought by Boeing. It first flew in 1971 and has been retired from airline service. It had a capacity of 270 customers in a two-class configuration. The mission of the KC-10 Extender, it's an air mobility command advanced tanker and cargo aircraft designed to provide increased global mobility for U.S. armed forces. So I did not know this until I met you, that it was also a cargo and passenger transport. And passenger, yeah, and, and troop transport. Would, would you say that half the missions are transporting or is, or is that just a small compared to refueling? You know, I, it's, it's so hard to tell because I haven't done a lot of trips in the last like five years or so. So I, I really don't know. But our, I, I can tell you our primary mission is the refueling piece. And then think of it like the airlines. The, the airplane is a limited quantity. We, we just don't have a, a million of these airplanes around. Our primary mission is to refuel other airplanes. Mm-hmm. If we have some slop in the system, if you will, then yes, we can do some cargo missions. But if we are busy doing the refueling, they're not going to pull us away from that to go run cargo when there's a C-5, C-17, C-130, other cargo planes, or Atlas, Kalita, all, all the contract carriers that they could use as well. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, for people that are joining the podcast this year or even last year, when I met Doug, he was a KC, well, he still is in the reserve. He was a KC-10 pilot, which I thought that was so cool because I have so little knowledge of that part of aviation. So the KC-10 can transport up to 75 people and nearly 170,000 pounds of cargo, a distance of about 4,400 miles unrefueled. In addition to the three main DC-10 fuel fuel tanks, the KC-10 has three large fuel tanks under the cargo floor, one under the forward lower compartment, one in the center wing area, and one under the rear compartment. Combined, the capacity of the six tanks carries more than 356,000 pounds of fuel. That, that is amazing. That that can fuel two triple sevens going to Europe. That that is a mm-hmm. lot of fuel. This version of the DC ten, the KC ten, would it be similar to a DC ten dash ten dash thirty dash forty, which were longer? It is. Or- it is a DC ten dash thirty. Does it, it have it the is, center gear? It has a center gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is a DC ten dash thirty. A lot of military airplanes are. Uh, how do I say Frankenstein airplanes, I guess they take different pieces and, mm-hmm. and parts of the, the different production lines and put it together and create it for the military. 
this was basically an off-the-shelf DC-10-30 that the Air Force got, and they modified a little bit by putting the refueling boom on it. But yeah, it's, it is a DC-10-30. Well, here's another question. So the Air Force, so they get a DC-10 and the Air Force does this, these modifications or does the manufacturer? No, no, the, these were, these were specifically manufactured by McDonnell Douglas to be Air Force refueling airplanes. They, they were not converted. The Dutch though did have a couple of, they call them KDC-10s. Mm-hmm. It was DC-10s that they had a, a boom put on it and it was a converted passenger airplane. They initially, so the one you fly is green, camouflage type green. I have seen some in like civilian looking colors, like white with, mm-hmm. you know, that looks like a government transport airplane. Yeah, the the current one is gray. I, they're all gray. Right. But over the life of the KC-10, they've had some, some different paint schemes. Initially, when it came off the line, it was like, like you said, that camouflage green. Some of them had, a, it was like a white top with a blue swoop on it and like a gray bottom that was used for like what you said vip transport it didn't have the extra refuel tanks it did it it, Uh, yes they they were they all again because our primary mission is the refueling they all can do the the refueling but some of them were specially equipped with different interiors to be able to carry vips but that i mean that mission has been long gone now. Yeah, because now, now that remember. now that the Air Force has 737s and 757s yeah. and Gulf Streams, they they don't need to use uh, again a really important asset like a KC-10 As to a carry some general somewhere. Right. In fact, I have never seen one of those in person. Let's talk about the engines. Three General Electric CF6-50 C2 turbofan engines with a thrust of 52,500 pounds each times three, that's 100 and 150,000 pounds of thrust, which is a lot. The 777, the older generous, generation 777s, have about 75,000 pounds of thrust in each of the Pratt & Whitney type engines. So this yeah. is very similar for a smaller plane. Uh, the length is 181 feet, 7 inches, which these days is very short. The 737 uh, Max 9 or Max 10 is 150. Um, the height is 58 feet. The wingspan <laughs> only 165 feet. By triple seven standards, that's very stubby. Uh, the speed is 619 miles per hour, Mach 0.825. How does that compare to a triple seven? Well, that that's the best cruise speed. Usually we fly at Mach 0.825, but we could go as high as 0.88 Mach. 0.85 is usually the, the fastest that we'll sometimes cruise at. It's a little bit slower than a triple. A triple is just a little bit faster. Okay, got it. Um, the ceiling is 42,000 feet, which is pretty high. Maximum takeoff weight, 590,000 pounds. Just comparing that to uh, a full 747. A full 747, I remember, we were taking off at about 850,000 pounds. Um, mm-hmm. Still very heavy. The range is 4,400 miles, as we said. The payload, maximum cargo payload is 170,000 pounds, which is a lot. The crew is four. You got a pilot, a co-pilot, flight engineer, and boom operator. On longer flights, do you have more crew members, or is that not? Yeah, we we augment not quite to the same extent that the airlines do because we don't fall under the FARs, which drives how the airlines have to staff their crews. But yeah, if, if we go over a certain time, then yeah, we we do have to have additional crew members on board. Hmm, interesting. All right. The unit cost, the cost of one KC-10 was 88.4 million, which again, 
That's a, those are fiscal $19.98. That sounds like a bargain. It wouldn't be the same today. It'd be interesting to see how much a KC-46 is, which is smaller mm-hmm. with less, less, less performance. It was deployed in 1981. Anything I'm missing? The range piece, again, just kind of like the speed, the 4,400 miles, that's kind of like the, the middle uh, end of the range, I guess you could say, based on if we have like a really full load of cargo. Because we talk, we've talked about this in the past, the heavier the airplane is, the more fuel it's going to burn and, and the less range it has. And that's part of the reason why a lot of the cargo airplanes have to stop in Anchorage, because they, they don't have the range to be able to fly completely full from North America to Asia or Asia to North America. So it's part of the reason why they have to make that stop. So if we're flying empty or relatively empty, let's say we're just positioning somewhere west coast to Europe or something like that. It's a lot farther than 4,400 miles. We can make it with no issues if, if we're not totally maxed mm-hmm. out on cargo. A lot of people don't realize that the gas that we carry, we can burn or we can give it away. People think that it's two completely separate systems. Wait, stop, stop. Okay, so the range is 4,400 miles, but you're saying that you can access that gas that you're carrying. So the range, mm-hmm. you can probably fly around the world. Mm-hmm. We could burn every single pound that we carry, or we could give away every single pound that we carry. It's so not two ever, separate. So systems. why would you ever need to stop anywhere? Even with that much gas, we we still don't have the range quite to fly around the world, as okay. you say. Let's get to this flight. Or do you have La- any more? Last thing, last thing I want to add, and this mm-hmm. is something a lot of people don't realize too: the KC-10 can also take gas. We are not mm-hmm. just a tanker; we are also a receiver. So when I was teaching at the schoolhouse, that was one of the things that I was doing is new pilots who were going through captain upgrade or instructor upgrade, I would teach them how to take the gas, how to fly up behind another tanker and, and connect with the other tanker, just like our, our receivers do, our fighters and C-17s, just like they do. We are fully capable of in-flight refueling as well. What would be the reason where you would take gas? One, one of the most common ones that I've seen is if we're taking off out of an airport that has a shorter runway and we need the range. You, you've talked about how there are times on the, the East Coast where you would have to have airplanes make a fuel stop. A couple of weeks ago, you were talking about like going to Baltimore to, mm, yeah. to pick up gas because for whatever reason... Dulles just didn't have the capability to to fully load it up. There are, or there have been times where I've seen this where taking off on a runway that's a little bit too short to be able to go up to a full gas load for what you need for that nonstop flight. So yeah. instead of stopping somewhere, which then slows you down, might eat into your duty day where you can't make it to your ultimate destination. Yeah, you send two airplanes up. You send right. one that's the tanker that will top us off once we get up to altitude. And then we can go nonstop and then they'll just come back and land. Let's get to this flight. This is the last flight for this aircraft. When will the program be officially over? When will the last KC-10 be taken to a boneyard? I think it's sometime uh, next year, 2024. Okay. I, I don't know specifics on that. I, I don't even know how many airplanes have, have retired so far. But yeah, the end of next year, end of 2024 is when it's supposed to be fully retired. There is one already in a museum in Dover, Delaware, Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. If anyone wants to actually see one in a museum, there's already one delivered. This plane that you flew, does it have a name or you're saying they don't have like... They they used to back in the day. Some of them had names, but most people just, just know them by the 
tail number. We in the civilian side, we would say the the end number or the the reg number, registration number. Most people just know it by that. This one was built in 1983, so it's 40 years old this year. I, I don't know when yeah. exactly it rolled off the line, but it it flew for 40 years for the Air Force nonstop. Does it have a tail number where we could find it? Jetphotos.net or airliners.net, you probably can find it. It's eight three zero zero eight zero is the tail number. Eight three zero zero eight zero. I know we keep building up to this. So tell us, regale us about this trip. It looked like a beautiful day. It looked like everyone's really happy. Tell how tell us how it was. This from Sacramento. This from Travis to Tucson. Yeah, Travis Travis to Tucson. It could not have been a better day. We we've talked about the atmospheric river in California and all the rain and cold and gross weather that we've been having. This was a bright, sunny, no wind day. It was absolutely gorgeous. Not a cloud in the sky. We took off on runway three right at Travis. I hand flew it. I, I did the takeoff. I hand flew it up to altitude and then continued to hand fly it for a while before I put the autopilot on just because I, I was like, you know what? This old girl is, has worked for 40 years for us. Let's have some fun with it on, yeah. on the way to retirement. Right. So I, I hand flew for a while and then we got the autopilot on and we ended up going basically, we, we took off to the, the, the northeast, turned north and then went out almost directly to the west off the coast of California, north of San Francisco, where we canceled our instrument clearance. We proceeded VFR and we descended down to 5,500 feet and we flew down along the coast. So we flew from north, north of San Francisco on this beautiful day and we just hugged the coast all the way down, went past the Golden Gate Bridge, went past SFO, went past Half Moon Bay, went past Santa Cruz, got into Monterey Bay. And that's when we picked up our instrument clearance, climbed climbed up again and sped up and continued down to Tucson. But it was just gorgeous. It was fantastic flying. It was so much fun. And everyone had this sense of celebration. There, there wasn't really a lot of sadness, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, everyone is sad that they're being retired. Mm-hmm. But on this particular flight, everyone, it was like a celebratory mood. And I brought a couple of bottles of champagne that I put on ice before we even took off, so it would be cold. My buddy, who was one of the other pilots, he brought some beverages for us to share. And it was just it was just such a fun flight, and everyone was having such a great time. Did you have more than the normal crew just because it was... A- we did, yeah. J- just because there are multiple different squadrons that operate the KC-10, both on the East Coast and on the West Coast. And I'm not entirely sure how they're doing this, but every airplane that has to go to retirement gets assigned to a specific squadron. Part of the reason why I was on this is because I'm leaving the airplane here in a couple of months. We'll talk about that later. And this is my last opportunity to be able to do a retirement input before I leave the airplane. Oh, you don't think so you'll, the next you don't think you'll bring another one to a bone boneyard? You might. No, I won't. I definitely won't because ours are they they rotate through the squadron. So each input is assigned to a different squadron. So it could be another another several months before my squadron gets another input so that's why i was on this that's why several of us were on it because it was our last opportunity to be able to do it so this tail eight three zero zero eight zero there's a boneyard in tucson airport is it pima it's not tucson airport actually it's it's davis monthan air force base and if everyone go on google earth right now and take a look zoom in on davis monthan air force base there are hundreds if not thousands of retired air force airplanes that are sitting in the desert at DM. Wow. It, it's really cool to see 
And I know they used to do tours, even though it's on an Air Force base, they used to do civilian tours that you could go on that brings you into the boneyard and you get to see retired B-52s and DC-3s and like things just going back decades and decades. It, it's really pretty cool to yeah. see. What would be cool is um, for us to get a bunch of friends, maybe listeners, and if we can access it, go look at that aircraft. You know, mm-hmm. just know that you brought it there and you flew it on its last flight. How cool is that? Well, and, uh, sitting on the ramp, once we landed in Tucson, I, it was my friend's landing. It was mine because it was actually one of his, I might have been his last flight mm-hmm. on, on A-10, not just this 10. Once we landed, doors open, we popped the champagne. And again, it's just so so celebratory. And then everyone had a chance to sign their name with a permanent marker on the airplane. And a, a lot of a lot of the maintainers had signed it before we even left because they weren't with us when we went down there. But these are people who have been working on this particular airplane for years, and they just have this connection to it. It was really neat just to see some of the the send-off messages that, that people wrote to it. But here we are sitting on the ramp, and I look out in front of us, and I can see the tails of the Pima Air and Space Museum mm-hmm. just just across the way. Oh, so it is close. The, okay. Yeah, I, I could see... Um, the cafe triple seven that was sitting over there i could see the nasa 747 sp that just retired like two weeks ago so that that was that was really cool sitting here on this airplane that we had just landed for the last time and then i can see the pima museum just across the way with all these other airplanes that are in never going to fly again but are are immortalized in history at this museum (laughs) all right well that's a great story doug and you sent me a bunch of pictures so we will put some of them on the website so for the listeners if you want to see this aircraft and this last flight just go on nextripnetwork.com and we'll have a few of them on there drew that was a bittersweet topic but mostly fun speaking of fun you've got something incredibly fun coming up you've got a trip it's not supersonic it's not a retirement but it's in business class. Where are you going? What's going on? Doug, you know, I remember this uh, episode. Do you do you watch The Big Bang Theory? I've seen some. I, I, I don't watch it, but I've seen some. Okay, so I don't watch it all the time, but I remember it's made me laugh. So Sheldon, you know, it, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a bunch of nerds. They're scientists, and they all live together in L.A. in this apartment. And there's one called Sheldon who is incredibly intelligent, but socially awkward and socially disconnected. <laughs> There's one episode where he asks one of his roommates, he goes, so what is this friends with benefits? Does she provide you health care? <laughs> <laughs> so this is a friends with benefits story and converting it to AvGeek. What does he provide you? Healthcare? No, these friends provide me travel. So I'm going to Tenerife with two of our friends, Charlie from Seattle and Ian from Los Angeles, they have these extra upgrade certificates. So I got a call from Charlie. Hey, do you want to go to Europe? I got some upgrade certificates. It took me like (laughs) half a second to say yes. I didn't even know what dates it was. So yeah, going to Europe, he wanted to go to Helsinki or, and I'm like, no, 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 let's go someplace warm. So we look on the map at Europe. Seems like Tenerife is the farthest you can go and still keep that upgrade um, region or however. You, you know more than I do. So we're going to Tenerife, and uh, it's going to be awesome. And listen to this. So I'm flying American from Los Angeles to London. It was business class. And they're offering an upgrade to first class for, for a few hundred dollars. And I took it, of course, because it could be my last chance 
to ever fly first class on a U.S. carrier because American is the last one to still have it. And they are going to dis- discontinue that. Inter- international first class. We, we should preface that. International. We're not talking domestic first class. That's not going away. The true international first class product. Yeah. So on the international flights on these wide bodies, there's three specific cabins, first class, business class, and economy. So if you're on a domestic flight, a 737, your seat is actually like a, it's a business class seat, but not even as good on an international flight because it, it doesn't turn into a flatbed. But Doug, you know, Tenerife has a bad connotation in the AvGeek world because mm-hmm. when you hear Tenerife, what do you what do you think of immediately? I think of the worst air disaster in in history. Yeah, so I don't Kale know. on Pan Am. Yeah, Pan Am. It was Pan Am. I believe it was 1978 or 1977. A Pan Am and a KLM 747 both had diverted to Tenerife because of poor weather in Europe, and it was. Bad weather in Tenerife, too. And there was uh, a runway incursion and there was an accident and it was horrible. So I wanted to change the narrative of Tenerife. Like when I think about Tenerife, I want to think of a wonderful little two or three day vacation with sun and and beaches. So let's stay tuned. I'll, we'll talk all about it. Doug, it would be awesome if you could go on this trip because we just did our ULCC trip. So this would be completely the opposite. But if you can't, you can live vicariously through me because I will send you endless pictures on WhatsApp to the point where you're going to start blocking me. <laughs> I wish I could, but I'm going to be heading the total opposite direction. I'll be in Taipei the same time that you guys are That's in right. Tenerife. That's the day you're going to Taipei. Yeah. Is I think so. Friday? Yeah. All right. So stay tuned. We'll talk all about it. And I want to hear you can talk about, I can regale you about Tenerife when I get back. You can regale me about actually setting foot in Taipei in the city. It's open. <laughs> it's open. And I've got two two Taipei trips this month, and I am so excited for it. Are they both uh, 777-300s? Yeah. Oh, wow. So the big guns. All right. Before we finish up, I would like to uh, put up, make a shout out to two people. First of all, Ryan, who's an av geek uh, who works at our airline, loves the show already. He's subscribed. We went to a, a diner for dinner after work, and this lady who is sitting at the next booth is listening to our whole conversation about travel and the podcast. She comes over before she leaves, like, oh, I just want to tell you, I was eavesdropping the whole time. It's so interesting what you're talking about. And then Ryan goes, why don't you just sit here and talk to us? So she sat there and talked to us for an hour, and uh, I sent you a picture because she's now subscribed to the podcast. So Pat, if you're listening, welcome. We don't just talk about planes. We talk about everything. So if you made it this far, thanks for listening to the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, welcome. And to all of our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 